What does the Bible say about whether it is a sin to go on vacation once in a while instead of going to church? It's the cross-culture Q&A question. Pastor Clay's answer right after this week's Crosswalk. Still, there are people chasing after other gods or after other things or after other whatever. And God's judgment will come. The religious harlot will be judged for leading the world into spiritual adultery. Growing in God's Word and learning what it means to take up our cross and follow Jesus. This is Crosswalk with Pastor Clay Stevens from Cross Culture Church in Raleigh. He's gotten what he's wanted. He has obtained power. He's used the harlot until he has used her up. And when he's finished with her, he no longer needs her. And so he turns on her. And the description is quite graphic. The judgment of the harlot woman sitting on the scarlet beast. Revelation chapter 17 certainly has some strange images. As we come to week three of the study of this 17th chapter, we've learned in our previous study that the harlot represents the false religious system of the world that has caused billions of people to worship false gods and idols. Pastor Clay has shown us what God thinks of religions that bypass the cross. And as we'll see today as we wrap up the 17th chapter, God's judgment will be swift and sure. God has said all along there was a judgment coming and there'll be a judgment coming for a religious system that has led billions of people into darkness, that has led billions of people away from the one true God. I'm Rick Freeman. Welcome to Crosswalk. In our previous two weeks in chapter 17, we've seen that the scarlet beast represents the Antichrist. He uses the harlot to achieve his purposes. But as Pastor Clay is going to show us today, the satanic union between the Antichrist and the false religious system is not going to end well. Thanks for joining us today. Now here's Pastor Clay with today's message. This is now the third week that we have been in Revelation chapter 17. And I, and I think it's been important to kind of go slow, especially on Revelation chapter 17, uh, because of the symbolism that's involved, because of so much that's, you know, like, really, really? Um, and I want to encourage you, by the way, this is not a one-shot deal. I hope you'll spend the rest of your life studying God's Word in general, of course, but, but the book of Revelation. Go back from time to time. Do some studies of this book. I remind you, as I've said, I think, a couple times of this study, it is the only book, as far as I know, it's the only book in the Bible that comes with an actual promise of blessing to those who read it uh, and, and study it. So, um, so there you go. That's a good enough reason in itself. But just to begin to get these concepts down, I encourage you to go back and listen to the message and, and read commentators and that sort of thing. Uh, but Revelation chapter 17, as I said last week and the week before, that is describing symbolically the judgment of what is and what will be uh, the, the world religious system. Now, right now, the world is made up of a lot of different religions, and we spent a week, the first week, talking about that and, and giving you a defense for why God is perfectly just in, in, in restricting access to Him through one way. And we discussed that, and you can go back and listen to that. But God is, this is about the judgment of God on the world religious system. There are many religions scattered all over the world. Most of them, you know, don't get along with each other and all that kind of stuff. And we'll talk about some of that. But during the tribulation period, uh, those religions will come together under the banner of the Antichrist. And, and he will, as we've talked about this, I'm not giving anything away, he will use them uh, as a means to gain control of the world, and he'll kind of bring them all together under one religious banner, so to speak. And there's a judgment coming because of the religions that have led people 
away from the true God. So, Revelation chapter 17 is where we are this morning. If you brought a copy of God's Word, uh, please uh, feel free to open there, and the text is going to be up on the screen. I'm going to read the entire chapter again to you, and then we're going to pick up right where we left off last week, which I believe was verse 12, and we're going to kind of uh, bring chapter 17 to a conclusion. Revelation chapter 17, Then one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and spoke with me, Those seven bowls, remember that was from from chapter 16, we looked at that. Spoke with me saying, come here, I will show you the judgment of the great harlot who sits on many waters, with whom the kings of the earth committed acts of immorality, and those who dwell on the earth were made drunk with the wine of her immorality. And he carried me away in the spirit into a wilderness, and I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast full of blasphemous names, having seven heads and ten horns. The woman was clothed in purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls, having in her hand a gold cup full of abominations and of the unclean things of her immorality. And on her forehead a name was written, a mystery, Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and of the abominations of the earth. And I saw the woman drunk with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the witnesses of Jesus. And when I saw her, I wondered greatly. And the angel said to me, why do you wonder? I will tell you the mystery of the woman and of the beast that carries her, which has the seven heads and the ten horns. The beast that you saw was and is not and is about to come up out of the abyss and go to destruction. And those who dwell on the earth, whose name has not been written in the book of life from the foundation of the world, will wonder when they see the beast that he was and is not and will come. Here is the mind which has wisdom. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman sits, and they are seven kings. Five have fallen, one is, the other has not yet come. And when he comes... He must remain a little while. The beast, which was and is not, is himself also an eighth and is one of the seven. And he goes to destruction. The ten horns which you saw are ten kings who have not yet received a kingdom, but they receive authority as kings with the beast for one hour. These have one purpose and they give their power and authority to the beast These will wage war against the Lamb, and the Lamb will overcome them, because He is Lord of lords and King of kings, and those who are with Him are the called and chosen and faithful. And He said to me, the waters which you saw where the harlot sits are peoples and multitudes and nations and tongues. And the ten horns which you saw and the beast, these will hate the harlot and will make her desolate and naked and will eat her flesh and will burn her up with fire. For God has put it in their hearts to execute His purpose by having a common purpose and by giving their kingdom to the beast until the words of God will be fulfilled. Verse 18, the woman whom you saw is the great city which reigns over the kings of the earth. Picking up this morning in Revelation chapter 17 and verse 12 
and 13. And in, in 12 and 13, we find out about these ten horns. And we discover that these ten horns represent ten kings. They represent ten future rulers during the tribulation period. Angel says they're not yet kings, they're not yet rulers, but they will be uh, in the future. And symbolically, they represent ten future rulers during the tribulation period. Now, there's been lots of speculation through the years about, well, who, who are these? Some people believe that these ten rulers uh, represent and will actually be the kind of the ten main players out of what's known as the European Union, this, this union of, of countries that are in Europe that have kind of come together and really kind of almost forming one nation, which is kind of what will happen. They have their own common currency now and, and uh, some common laws and, 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 and that sort of thing. And so some people believe that this is a reference to those, the ten uh, main players in this European Union. Some people believe that the ten rulers uh, will actually be responsible for ten particular regions over the earth, and that the Antichrist will put one person in charge of each one of those regions and that they are responsible and accountable uh, to him. Whichever the case may be, what is clear is that they are with the Antichrist. Uh, they will give their power to him. Uh, somebody asked me, is it possible that they're, that they're already in a place of authority? Sure, it's, it's possible. Depending on when the return of Christ happens, it's, it's quite possible that these could be rulers already in some place of, of responsibility or even in a place of, of leadership in, in some particular government. But they will give their power and their authority over to the Antichrist as he rises to power, and they are clearly with him. Now, verse 14 is where we kind of begin to wrap this whole thing up and kind of put this whole thing uh, together. In verse uh, 14, it says, uh, we, we hear this reference about them, they will make war against the Lamb. Now, if you've been with us for a while, you know that Lamb is code for what? Jesus, that's right, Jesus Christ. The Lamb represents, and that's, that's pretty easy, I think, to figure out. The Lamb represents Jesus Christ. So these ten rulers and the Antichrist will make war against the Lamb, against Jesus Christ. Now, what would be this war that they would be, he would be referring to? What would be this battle that they would be referring to? The, I have no idea what you said, but I'm sure you said the Battle of Armageddon, Right? I'm sure that's what you said. The Battle of Armageddon that, that we looked at earlier a few weeks ago, I think in chapter 16, where this final culminating battle see, it takes place, I believe a literal, actual battle that will take place as Christ returns and establishes His kingdom. He's coming back to establish His kingdom, literal, physical kingdom on this earth. And so the angel is simply reminding us here that these are these same guys that we talked about in chapter 16 at the, that, that are joining with the Antichrist at the Battle of Armageddon. Let me stop right here and say, say this. This is important. I've mentioned this before in our study, but it's very important for your understanding of the book of Revelation that you recognize that the book of Revelation is not necessarily chronologically in order. Now, it is in a lot of places. It does run chronologically in a lot of places, but at times... God is dealing with subject matter, and so he may go back in, in certain places. For instance, this judgment, just as a reference for you, this judgment of the false religious system, I believe, takes place halfway through the tribulation period. So we looked at the final battle in chapter 16, but now in chapter 17, we're looking at a judgment that will take place halfway through the tribulation period, and I'll share with you in a little bit why I think that it takes place halfway through. But you need to understand that it'll, miss, it'll mess with your mind. I mean, it's, it's enough already, but it'll mess with your mind if you start thinking, okay, well, I, I thought, 
No, it's not necessarily always running in chronological order. Sometimes it's dealing with subject matter that may take it uh, back in another direction earlier in, uh, in the tribulation period. So, uh, but, but what happened, what we discover is these, these ten rulers uh, and the Antichrist decide to actually do battle with Jesus Christ. Um, do any of y'all eat Sun Chips? Yeah, quite a few of us. Right? We got some Sun Chip fans in here. Um, have any of y'all got, bought any Sun Chips, you know, in the last year or so? Y'all, any of y'all discovered their bags, these bags? You guys seen these bags, the Sun Chips bags? Well, um, there's, a, there's an article in, on uh, Yahoo.com or something talking about these, uh, these bags that are being recalled and that the company has decided, eh, maybe this wasn't such a good idea after all. Um, the, the, the bags, it turns out, the, what, what they promote it for, they, you know, big pushes up, is they're biodegradable. I mean, if, supposedly, if you just leave them there, they'll just dissolve. If you just leave them alone, the bags will just dissolve because they're made out of plants instead of out of plastic. But they're a little loud. They're a little noisy. And, and in the article, they said that uh, the official said that the customers began to complain. He said, some customers were grateful that we were trying to be, you know, pro-green and, and all that kind of stuff. But, but uh, the, la- the spokeslady said, uh, 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 we need to listen to our customers. And we've heard them loud and clear. Now, if she had a sense of humor, she would have said, we need to listen to our customers. But we couldn't hear them over our bags. That's what she should have, that's what she should have said. Uh, Facebook, is, there's all kinds of different uh, 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 Facebook uh, face, uh, pages now. There's one that's, uh, that's entitled... Um, I wanted sun chips, but my roommate was asleep. <laughs> There's one that was entitled Sun Chips, the loudest bag in the world or the loudest noise in the world or, or something like this. So uh, there's all these different things. And one of the spokesmen, the, the guy that's in charge of some of the production, said that uh, there's no reason to offer solutions that the market would not accept. Really? <laughs> there's no reason to offer solutions that the market would not accept. In other words, we want to be green, but... There's only so far, apparently, that we want to be green, you know? We don't want to be green if it hurts our ears too much. So, you know, that, that, have, you, have you heard these things? I mean, ha, really, ha, have you heard these things? This is, a, you know, can you, can you imagine? Hey, get in here. Get a chip out. Can you, I mean, you know. Now, I'm thinking, who is the genius that came up with this in the first place? Can y'all hear me? <laughs> Who is the genius that, that thought this would be a good idea? And second, who is the guy in the boardroom that made the final decision to say, let's do it. I think it's a good idea. I think it'll go over. I think they'll love it. Let's do it. I bet that guy's pushing a broom on the night shift now, don't you? <laughs> Who could possibly think this was a good idea? I think that that is exactly what the soldiers in this battle on the side of the Antichrist will think about time Christ shows up. Who thought this would be a good idea? Because the text makes it very clear that the battle is never in question and that Jesus Christ rules. And, and the angel says, the lamb will overcome them. There's this phrase. It says, the lamb will overcome them because he is Lord of lords and king of kings. You know what I call that? 
I call that a sidebar of praise. Because the angels, they're just all the time doing this. In the midst of even telling a story, they will suddenly just break out with something. You know, they're telling about this battle, and they says, but the Lamb will overcome him because he is Lord of lords and King of kings. Just in the middle of it. And I was thinking about it. I was saying, you know what? That's, that's not a bad model for us to follow in life, is it? That in the midst of the, of the stuff of our life, in the midst of the, of the junk and the jewels, in the midst of the, of the happy days and the hectic days, in the midst of the mess that we're often in, it's never a bad idea to just stop sometimes and, and just, you know what, just do a sidebar of praise. It's just the opportunity in our lives uh, that, that gets so full of junk and so full of stuff and, and, and so full of time on our schedules uh, to just stop and say, hey, I, I don't have to wait till, till Sunday till I come into this place to sing. I can, I can just break out in praise of my God at any point in any time in my life, whether it's good or whether it's bad, because God is worthy of praise no matter what. Oh, by the way, uh, don't miss the end of verse 14 where it says, and those who are with him are the called and the chosen faithful. When he comes back, he will defeat them because he is Lord of lords and King of kings and those who are with him are the called and chosen and faithful. Do you know who he's talking about? That's right. He's talking about you. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, he's talking about you. Did you know you were in the book of Revelation? If we, are, are, if we are caught up to be with him during, uh, in heaven while the tribulation period is going on, when he comes back, we will come back with him at the end of the tribulation period as he defeats the enemy and as he establishes his kingdom on earth. We'll see that in chapter 19. It's going to get better and better. But, but did you know you're in the book of Revelation? Verse 15, of course, is just, I've made reference to it several times because it it started out talking about the woman sitting on many waters at the very beginning. And now in verse 15, it says, and uh, he said to me, the waters which you saw where the harlot sits are peoples and multitudes and nations and tongues. In other words, the symbolism is that this harlot uh, that, that, that represents the religious systems of the world, the, the, the false religion of the world, this harlot will, will, will oversee many nations, tongues, people groups. She will, she will have influence over millions and even billions and billions of people. And then verse 16. Verse 16 is where this judgment that we've been talking about for three weeks now, verse 16 is where this judgment actually comes. And when you read it, it, it might almost sound like a, like a twist in the plot. It's like, what, what? Now, how did that happen? Because in verse 16 it says, And the ten horns which you saw, and the beast. Who's the beast? Who's the beast? Antichrist. That's right. Empowered by Satan. That's right. And the beast, these will hate the harlot. Now wait a minute. What? Hate the harlot? I thought they were in bed with the harlot. Well, they sure were. These will hate the harlot and will make her desolate and naked and will eat her flesh and will burn her up with fire. How how did did this happen? What what went on? What would have possibly happened? Early up in the chapter, uh, she's seen riding on the beast, which symbolizes this relationship, this partnership that they have. I mean, they're, they're, they're bedfellows. They are, they're, they're there together. And then all of a sudden, in verse 16, they hate the harlot. What happened? Well, does anybody remember from our study in Revelation chapter 13 what religious move the Antichrist makes halfway through the tribulation period? Does anybody remember what he does? 
Halfway through the tribulation period, the Antichrist establishes his, his uh, image. He sets up his image in the temple in Jerusalem. And at that point, suddenly demands that everyone on the face of the earth bow down and worship him exclusively as God. You see where this is going? He has used the, the religions of the world... And how did he bring them together in the first place? I mean, we know this is future, but I mean, you can speculate. How does he bring them together? Basically, by by making a place for every one of them at the table, by saying, hey, we're we're all in this together. You know, all those crazy people have disappeared. And we're all in this together, so so we better do something. Let's all come together, every every one of the religions of the world. And he brings them all to the table. There's a place for everybody, and we can all coexist. That's a very popular sentiment in our culture right now, isn't it? Which by the way, is an indicator to me that we're not far from the end of this thing. But, but come on, we, we, we can all come together, and, and, and that's what he does. He brings them together, and nobody's ever been able to do that. Jews sitting down with Muslims, and, and, and Hindus sitting down with Buddhists, and, and you know, all, the whole, whole gamut. By the way, also, also that whatever element of, in, in quotation brackets, the church, whatever element of the church would be around, meaning anything that might call itself Christian doesn't necessarily mean it's Christian. If it, if it teaches anything other than salvation by grace through the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross and Him alone, then it's a false religion. And, and, and so uh, He gathers them all together. He makes a place on that table. And He gains control by bringing all of these religions together. He gains, he gains control of the people. They're, remember, the harlots sitting on many waters, and that represents tribes and tongues and all these people. He gets their control He's gotten what he's wanted. He has obtained power. He's used the harlot until he has used her up. And when he's finished with her, he no longer needs her. And so he turns on her. And the description is quite graphic as it says, they will make her desolate and naked and will eat her flesh and will burn her up with fire. In other words, they will completely consume and destroy this religious coalition that has come together under the banner of the Antichrist as he now establishes his own worship and demands exclusive worship where he's been telling them all along, hey, we can all get along, but at the halfway point of the tribulation period, and that's why, that's why I believe this judgment is when, that's when it takes place. The halfway point, he sets up his image in the temple. He demands that the world take his mark, bow down to him, and recognize him as their God. And in verse 17, it says, For God has put it in their hearts to execute his purpose by having a common purpose. You see, even though they were doing what they were doing for their own wicked purposes, they were in fact fulfilling God's righteous purposes. Because God has said all along there was a judgment coming. And there'll be a judgment coming for a religious system that has led billions of people into darkness, that has led billions of people away from the one true God. By the way, by the way, when I say that a false religious system has led billions of people away from a relationship with God, please understand this. That does not mean that the individuals that make that decision, that does not mean that those billions who get led away, that does not mean that they are not responsible. God's Word makes it very clear that they are, you and I are, everybody is accountable to God. And as Romans 1 makes it clear, and I I know I have used Romans 1 
Romans 1 countless times in this study of these judgments. But Romans 1 makes it very clear that everybody has, the, not, has enough knowledge to know that God is and they can have a relationship with him if they would desire to do so. Why don't we look at that? Romans chapter 1 beginning in verse 18. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their lies. Wickedness, since what may be known about God is plain to them, because God has made it plain to them. Watch this. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature, watch this, have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made, so that men are with excuse. For although they knew God, they neither glorified Him as God nor gave thanks to Him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. And although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal man and birds and animals and reptiles. And therefore God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served created things rather than the creator who is forever praised. Amen. No excuse. Judgment comes on the religious system because the religious system is responsible for what they have done. But each individual is also responsible and accountable for desire to know and to seek out this God who has made himself clearly known. So that the words of God will be fulfilled. And then the final culmination, the last of it, if if it wasn't clear by now, it's clear in verse 18. The woman whom you saw is the great city which reigns over the kings of the earth. He's making reference back to verse 5. If you, you look back down on verse 5, which talked about this woman and, and, and said, or this city, and said this name was on her forehead, and it was Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and of the abominations of the earth. What the angel is talking about is the spiritual uh, Babylon, that those false religions that were birthed way back in that ancient city, and we talked about that last week. Those, the, the false religion, the idol worship that was birthed in the city of Babel, later to be known as Babylon, and how that spirit still pervades the earth and the world today. Still, there are people chasing after other gods or after other things or after other whatever. And the angel says, that's who the woman is. That harlot, the great Babylon, that spirit of rebellion and ungodliness. And God's judgment will come. And so... The big picture biblical principle for Revelation chapter 17 is simply this. The religious harlot will be judged for leading the world into spiritual adultery. The religious harlot will be judged for leading the world into spiritual adultery. Because they rejected the one true God and turned to false gods. And of all the commandments of the Ten Commandments. Everybody knows, oh, the Ten Commandments, Ten Commandments. The very first one is this. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. I am the Lord. I am the Lord God. You shall have no other gods before me. The judgment of the religious system is, in fact, coming. And it's coming because of the harlotry, leading of people away from a relationship with the true God. 
It's not a pretty picture, is it? Religions that deny the one true God and His sacrifice on the cross are not something God treats lightly. The judgment that is coming during the tribulation period will be a righteous judgment based on the sins of the harlot as she is used by Satan to lead billions of people into darkness. God used the beast to carry out His judgment. But as we'll see in the weeks to come in chapters 18 and 19, the beast has an appointment with God's judgment as well. And we hope you'll keep your appointment with us as well when the Revelation series continues on Crosswalk. We're glad you joined us for this week's message on Crosswalk. Each week, Pastor Clay opens the Bible and brings out its exciting and practical truths to apply to our lives. Cross Culture Church is a new church in North Raleigh, but instead of religion, we're about relationships. And instead of rituals, we practice realness. We meet Sundays at 1030 at Leesville Road High School, a mile and a half south of I-540, exit 7. And we welcome anyone looking for a place to learn about God's plan for their life. At Cross Culture Church, we experience the liberating, satisfying, life-changing power of the cross. And it's our desire to bring that power to a culture in need of freedom, hope, and joy. We hope you'll come join us on a Sunday morning. We'll save a seat for you. Cross Culture Church, a new church for people like you. Learn more about us, who we are, what we're about, what we do, and what we believe. Visit us online at crossculturelife.org. Cross Culture Church, taking the cross to our culture and taking our culture to the cross. Now this week's Cross Culture Q&A. Q&A time at Cross Culture Church each week. If you're new here each week, we take one uh, question that someone has turned in. We have Q&A cards out there in the lobby area, but we take one question that somebody has uh, concerning whatever the issue might be. If the Bible deals with it, as I've said many times, we try and deal with it as well. Uh, interesting question uh, this week. Uh, and the question is, is this. It looks like this. What does the Bible say about, and I just, I just put it exactly the way the, uh, it was written on the card. Is it a sin to go on vacation Instead of going to church once in a while, well, gathering from the way it looks in this room right now, let's certainly hope not. So. <laughs> Is it a sin to go on vacation uh, instead of going to church once in a while. Now, well, all right, a lot of times I'll give you the short answer right up front. Short answer is no, ladies and gentlemen. It's not a sin to go on vacation and, and not go to church. Let, let's talk about the whole idea, the concept of, of going to church or gathering together. Um, as a, a body of believers. Lots of places in Scripture that we can look. I, I, I wrote just a couple of uh, verses down that kind of point to that idea. One of them is in 1 Corinthians 16, and I actually referenced that verse a few weeks ago in my pastor's perspective when I do a quarterly financial update, let everybody know how we're doing financially. But I want you to notice what it says in 1 Corinthians 16. It says, Now about the collection for God's people, do what I told the Galatian churches to do. On the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with his income, saving it up so that when I come, no collections will have to be made. Now, 
I'm not talking about the money aspect. What I want you to notice there is that it says on the first day of the week. Well, was that payday for them? No, it wasn't like they had a payday back then. Why would they do it on the first day of the week? Because it was on the first day of the week that they were gathering together, that they were coming together, as had been the church's practice ever since the resurrection of Christ on that first day of the week. And so in, in, in 1 Corinthians 16, which Paul says he'd also said to the Galatians, and so clearly there's this idea that they're gathering together and worshiping on the first day of the week. And of course, the, probably one of the quintessential texts about uh, you know, gathering together, Hebrews chapter 10 says this. says, Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Can I just say, it, y'all do encourage me. When I, when I get, a lot of times, you know, we're not able to interact with everybody during the week, but when we come together and just seeing you out in the cafe area and the lobby, see you serving in ministry areas, uh, talking to you in here, it is encouraging to me. I hope that it is to you, but the writer of Hebrews says, let's not stop meeting together as some people have fallen into the habit of doing, but let's continue to do so and all the more as you see the day approaching, a reference to the return of Christ. Um, so there's, clearly there's this biblical idea of gathering together, certainly there is a biblical expectation that God's people would come into God's house, whether that's a school auditorium or something with a steeple on it or whatever it might be, there's an expectation that they would gather together. But here's what you also need to remember. Jesus said this in Mark chapter 2, verse 27. Jesus said to them, the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. In the context, what Jesus is saying, hey, remember what this is about. This is not about do's and don'ts. It's not about, about walking this legal line. That what you need to understand is that God is desiring this relationship with you and, and, that, and that you can have this relationship with him. And whatever it is that God directs in our lives to do, we need to keep in mind that it's not about being, you know, these legal, legalistic. And I know that there's, we, have to, we have to balance between going too legal and going too much on the side of grace. You know, where people say, well, I can do anything I want. It's all about grace, you know. No, it's understanding a biblical balance. And Jesus said, just keep in mind that this is not about some religious structure or some, some duty that you have to perform. Let me give you a couple of examples of that. In, in David's great psalm of repentance, Psalm 51, David says this. You do not, now listen, this is during the sacrificial system. He says, you do not delight in sacrifice or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. A broken and contrite heart, O oh God, you will not despise. David understood that this is not about the, 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 you know, being in step with the religious duty. This was about the relationship with God. That's what God was looking for. God says the same thing in Isaiah chapter 1. says this, What are your multiplied sacrifices to me? Says the Lord. I've had enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fed cattle, and I take no pleasure in the blood of bulls, lambs, or goats. When you come to appear before me, who requires of you this trampling of my courts? Bring your worthless offerings no longer. Incense is an abomination to me. New moon and Sabbath, the calling of assemblies. I cannot endure iniquity and in the, in the solemn assembly. I hate your new moon festivals and your point at feasts. They have become a burden to me. I am weary of bearing them. The, the, the people of Israel had, be, had fallen into this trap of just, well, this is our duty. This is what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to bring these sacrifices. We're supposed to go into the house of God. And God says, I'm telling you, I detest of it because it's not from your heart. It's not the desire of your heart. That's what this is about. That's what worshiping God is all about. 
And so I say to you this morning, uh, or no, you say it to me. Let's all say it together. Can we just be reminded of, of Psalm 100? If you will, just read this with me this morning. Shout joyfully to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful singing. Know that the Lord himself is God. It is he who has made us and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name for the Lord is good. His loving kindness is everlasting and his faithfulness to all generations. The truth is, ladies and gentlemen, I don't have to go to church. I get to go to church.